Hello, howlers. Couple quick warnings before we get started here today. First warning this podcast contains adult content. Don't be a pixie. Second warning this podcast contains spoilers for the entire Red Rising universe, as does our Instagram account. So <laughs> if you have not read, or read the books, Please don't listen to the podcast because it's going to ruin it for you. And don't complain because that's your own fault. Don't forget to follow us. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We have an Etsy store. It's hot. Email us, howlerpod at gmail.com. All the hashtags. And now, howlerpod. I pulled the key Pax gave me from my neck and put it in my bag. Setting aside the father, welcoming the reaper, and letting the old rage take hold. Bum, bum, bum. Let's go! Let's fucking go! Hello, <laughs> Howlers. Welcome to Howler Pod, the one and only podcast for all things Red Rising, where every episode we dive deep to break down, celebrate, and discuss all aspects of the Fantastic Red Rising series by Howler number one, Pierce Brown. Ow, ow. I am your host, Ben Reinert, joined today, as always, by the amazing Aaron Ayers. Hello, Howlers. We're back! <laughs> back streets, back, all right. All right. In my sexual... <laughs> We did it. We are back. We're going to be covering Iron Gold today. The uh, whole book. The whole book. It's like a, a recap review. But first, we want to talk about what's coming up this month on Howler Pod. And in your life, Dark Age is coming out. Yes, Dark Age is coming out soon. We are currently recording this at the beginning of July. So it's Dark Age month. Right. Dark Age comes out at the end of the month. OMG, we're probably all going to die. Well, somebody's going <laughs> to die. <laughs> we just don't know who. Better not be Severo. First, today, we'll be covering Iron Gold. We're going to do like a recap, review. We're going to talk about it, do some Prime Fives. And then next podcast, next episode, we will be covering our Dark Age preview. Like we're going to like talk theories. theories, what we think is going to happen, what we want to see happen. Theories from the internet. Right. And by the way, we don't know anything. We are not special. Don't so that. don't be scared. <laughs> we can't actually spoil anything. <laughs> yes. We, I mean, the only spoilers are things that we've pulled off the internet. And if it's just going to be guesses at that point as to what happens. Pretty exciting. And then before Dark Age comes out, we will release one more podcast. And it's going to be us answering questions from our Howler listeners. We put up a post on Instagram uh, a couple weeks ago asking for questions. You guys sent in a whole bunch. They were amazing. Keep sending those in. So if you're listening to this today and still want to ask a question, you can. DM. DM. DM yeah, hop in the DM. Send us an email, whatever you want to do, and uh, we'll answer those questions. Don't call me. Don't call us. Yeah, that would be bad. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and jump into Iron Gold, right? Let's load up this star shell and shoot straight into the entire book. <laughs> we are going to summarize what happens to each of our main point of view characters. Yeah. How about you start, Ben? 
with good old Darrow. Good old Darrow, <laughs> best <laughs> friends. All right, Darrow is now 33 years old, an arch imperator of the Republic, which is led by his wife, Mustang. She's a sovereign. Darrow has just returned to Luna from liberating Mercury from the forces of the Aslord, I mean Ashlord, uh, <laughs> with an iron rain. He is still followed by Severo. He's married to Victra. They have three daughters with a fourth on the way. Daryl was told to stand down by the Senate, but disobeyed and is now returning to ask for more troops so he can go finish the remainder of the Ashlord's forces gathering around Venus. When Daryl arrives at the Senate chamber, Dancer calls Daryl out big time for not listening to the Senate. Come on, Dancer. And then brings in Julia uh, Bologna herself to speak against Darrow. She reveals the Ashlord had wanted to start peace talks. Darrow saw it as a ploy, which it was, and did not tell the Senate. Bad move. The Senate gets pissed and eventually calls for Darrow's arrest. Darrow decides to escape with the Howlers rather than be caught, but in the process, accidentally kills Wolfgar, no. a hero and warden of the Republic. That's that's bad news bears right very, there. Very sad. Darrow and the Howlers head for Earth, where they break out an old enemy, Apollonius Avalii Wrath, hey, older brother baby. of one Tactus. <laughs> <laughs> Is it weird that I think Apple's sexy? You know, he's definitely oh, no. like a murdery, rapey <laughs> guy. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I've got bad taste. <laughs> he's in a deep sea prison called Deep Grave. Darrow's plan is to use Apollonius's own personal vendetta against the Aslord, Ashlord, plus his <laughs> resources and army located on Venus to take out the Aslord, Ashlord. Apollonius is scary, crazy, but he agrees to Darrow's plan. He has a bomb in his head, so that probably helps out a lot. Darrow, the Howlers, and Apollonius sneak their way onto Venus, where Apollonius takes back his army from his bitch brother, Tharsis. They attack the Tharsis. <laughs> they attack uh, the Ashlord's heavily guarded island lair. Apollonius and his army on one side, the Howlers on the other. Just as it looks like Darrow and the Howlers will be defeated, Apollonius comes to the rescue. Surprisingly, they storm the stronghold and find the Ashlord wasting away on a sickbed where he has been for the last three years. Apollonius had him poisoned three years ago, didn't tell anybody, and Atalantia has been running shit ever since. It was all for nothing. The Ash Lord then tells them about Electra and Pax being kidnapped. They kill him very, very violently with some fire. Yeah, I'm it's worried about Pierce's getting darker. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Severo gets super pissed, obviously. He's like all I mean, daddy dearest at this point. And uh, he refuses to follow Darrow to Mercury, where he's going to fight at Atalantia. Uh, he is heading back to Luna. Daryl will not return to Luna. He decides to become the Reaper once more and boards a ship to Mercury. Let the rage rise. <laughs> rise! Rise! Finally, we get to say rise again. Lyria is a red gamma girl. She grew up in the mines on Mars and was liberated by the rising by our very own dancer. The Red Hand comes to her camp and kills almost her whole family, along with tons of other Gammas in the camp. Lyria saves Kavox from drowning in the river, and he brings Lyria and her nephew Liam with him back to Luna to work for him. Lyria as Sophocles' babysitter, and Liam goes to school there. Now, while visiting Hyperion City for the first time, Lyria meets, quote, Felipe, Felipe, a disguised Ephraim, and they become fast friends, visiting each other regularly. 
Felipe gives Lyria a friendship necklace hmm. at some point. <laughs> so Lyria goes with the Telemannus and Augustus crews to Quicksilver's birthday party. When the party finishes, most of the group goes back to the Citadel for meetings, but the Telemannuses, Lyria, and Pax and Electra, the kids, are going to Lake Celine for the week. On the trip back, Felipe's necklace comes to life from around Lyria's neck. Turns out it's a weapon with sleeping gas and also kills all the power of the ship. And the ship starts to fall into Ephraim's trap, where he then kidnaps Pax and Electra for the syndicate. And Kavox is like super shot and also punches a green's head clean up. First time I read that, definitely thought he was dead. Thought Kavox was dead. Yeah. Yeah. The guy with the spine sticking out, he's dead. <laughs> yes. The guy without his head. He's, he's dead. dead. <laughs> but no, Kavox is not yet dead, um, but he's very, very badly injured. Lyria, who Ephraim ended up not killing because he's got some humanity left, she manages to escape and make it back to the Sovereign. She helps them figure out that Ephraim was in on it, and Holiday confronts Ephraim with Lyria's help. At the end of the book, Lyria is stabbed by something by an unknown brown with regards from Victra. Mm, that takes us to our boy Ephraim here. He's a gray, former member of the Rising and fiance of one Trig T Nakamura. May he rest in peace, pouring out for our homie Trig, who is splattered on the side of a mountain. Okay. <laughs> I feel like he's probably been cleaned up by now. <laughs> Ephraim uh, is employed as a high-end thief. He's a pill addict. A drunk, basically he's hates himself, but he's extremely good at his job of stealing shit. Uh, after stealing the priceless razor of one Selenius Alun, the original OG gold conqueror, Ephraim finds himself reluctantly mixed up with and in the service of the Duke of Hands, a member of the extremely dangerous syndicate. The Duke has a job for Ephraim and his crew to kidnap some very high-profile children, as part of the kidnapping ploy, Ephraim disguises himself as Felipe and befriends a red in service of the Telemannuses named Lyria. He gives her a necklace that we talked about. It's totally booby-trapped with like noxious gas and an EMP blast. As the Telemannus household and the two targets of Ephraim's heist, Pax, the son of the Sovereign, and Darrow, and then Electra Alvarca fly in their ship back to uh, Lake Selene. Ephraim's booby-trapped necklace goes off and his plan is set into motion. The gas temporarily paralyzes everybody on the ship and then the EMP goes off and makes the ship fall out of the sky. Ephraim and his crew have like a huge grab and they catch the ship basically out of the air and pull it down to the ground, kidnap the kids. Uh, Ephraim readies himself to kill Laria but can't do it because he totally chickened out and he, he kind of likes her. He decides to put her in the car. They're going to go drop off the children to the Duke and uh, he's going to hide her there, let her escape, let her get a head start, have, maybe have a life. Lyria eventually escapes during the exchange of the children. Duke gets all pissed because they hear he sends all these obsidians after her and kills uh, some a member of Ephraim's crew and then threatens to kill Volga, Ephraim's friend. And then he just lets them leave with a, a very threatening, like, don't fuck up type situation. Afterward, Ephraim gets into an argument with Volga and un insults her just before they are to leave Luna forever. They're going to go run away. They just made a whole bunch of money. 
their friendship over. Ephraim heads for his transport to Earth. Just before he is to leave, he is confronted by Holiday, who's working for Mustang, and then Leary is with her too. Uh, Ephraim eventually makes a deal with Mustang to save the children from the syndicate in exchange for a full pardon for Volga, because they've got her. Ephraim then gains an audience with the Duke, steals the children back, gets super injured in the process, but manages to hop on a ship and fly out of there. As he's traveling back to the Citadel and Mustang, the syndicate queen takes control of the ship. And to avoid capture, Ephraim detonates some grenades in the back of the plane, and he and the children plummet towards the ground. We don't know and what it's happens. a cliffhanger. It's a cliffhanger. That was two cliffhangers. Two cliffhangers. Three. Pretty if you much. count Darrow's. Yeah, kind of. Darrow's is always a cliffhanger. Lysander is next. Lysander, if you remember, is Octavia's grandson. Lysander. Lysander. He's, he's like 20 now, though. Yeah. So he's like, Lysander. <laughs> 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 he has been protected by Cassius for the last 10 years, traveling in the Archimedes ship on the fringes of civilization and protecting people who can't protect themselves. The pilot, Pytha, is with them as well. They get a distress call and find a smuggling ship adrift. Cautiously coming aboard, they find low colors murdered and trapped with Ascomani cannibals aboard. Super creepy dudes. Yes. And ladies. Obsidians that are just out there killing people. They're just people eating, and eating people. People. That's creepy. <laughs> While rescuing some low colors, Lysander, like dumbass, leaves Cassius to go save one gold that he heard was on the ship. Because he's like, Lorne would do it. Mm. And it's like, dude, you're not Lorne. You're going to fucking die. Right. <laughs> so he finds the gold go- girl and abandons the low colors trapped with her. And they barely escape. The gold girl tells Lysander where to find help as they are running from Ascomani's ships. And she's very injured and falls asleep. Mm-hmm. They head towards the rim, narrowly escaping as the rim ships blow the Ascomani to bits. Before the rim people board uh, the Archimedes, Cassius gets a nasty semi-permanent face mask to hide his identity. And then they also hide their belongings that mark houses Bologna and Loon. Mm-hmm. And they're pretending now to be just some merchant brothers with their pilot. Castor and Giannis. Giannis. <laughs> Janice, I don't know. Did they say it like that in the audio uh, The Lysander dude says Janice. Or Janice, yeah. Anyways, doesn't matter. Fun fact, Janice is a two-faced god. So it's like duplicitous <gasps> identity. That's why it gave him away. That's not why. So It is kind of obvious, though. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think these golds know their history, <laughs> Lysander. Uh, so, the, um, so the rim people board the ship, and they um, capture them, basically put them in chains, and then find the gold girl, who turns out to be Serafina, the daughter of... Romulus, all raw. Moon lords. Moon lords. lords. So they are taken to Romulus in this like secret fortress away from the main moonies Mm -hmm. before Romulus can kill Lysander and Cassius and lock his daughter away for going across the imaginary border between the core and the rim. Dido, Romulus's wife, storms the fortress and takes Romulus into custody. Lysander and Cassius are treated as her guests for saving her daughter, Serafina. There's a like super intense dinner then later where it's revealed that they know who Cassius is and they've known all, all along. Mm-hmm. 
He's taken to the bleeding place to pay for his crimes against the Raw family. Remember the end of Golden Sun? The triumph. Yeah, they're holding him responsible for the triumph, basically, what happened. Even though he wasn't there when they died, he still was like part right. of that crew that smashed their daughter's head. And Revis, the father-in-law of Dido slash Romulus's dad, was mm. also killed. So Dido is trying to get Lysander to give her the code to their safe, which holds the proof that Darrow blew up the docks of Ganymede. So Cassius duels and beats like a ton of people. It's super epic. If you haven't read it, get out, because <laughs> why are you here? But also, you should reread it. So then Lysander, not doing as Cassius asked, jumps in and saves Cassius's life right before Serafina. And declares who he is. Lysander, yeah, he jumps in the ring. He's like, Serafina, don't kill my brother. He's not my brother. I'm actually Lysander. And they're like, oh, shit. Because <laughs> yeah. they still thought that Lysander was Cassius's younger Bologna brother. Right. They didn't know he was a loon. A loon. So they take Cassius away to be treated by yellows. And then he very sneakily dies. Quote unquote dies. dies off camera. Yeah. We don't see the body. Hashtag where's the body. Very importantly, the pink that came and told Lysander that Cassius died is very close with Diomedes, the Olympic knight who took Cassius into his protection. Right. So, so most likely... Feels like something maybe is going on there. being kept alive and they lied to Lysander. That's what we think. That's what we think. That's what everyone thinks. That's what has to happen or else we'll all be so mad. <laughs> I will be so, so mad. So mad. So uh, Lysander is all sad because he thinks Cassius is dead because he believes them like super easily. Mm-hmm. Some more shit happens, but this is taking too long. So just remember. And then Romulus at the end is charged with treason and he, quote, walks the plank Moon Lord style. It's super badass. He dies. End of the book. And the rim declares, basically decides they're going to go to war. He dies. <laughs> yes. The rim is going to go to war against the Reaper. And that's what happened in Iron Gold. The end. The end. End of podcast. We're done. Kidding. That's All right. your recap. I hope you reread it, though, because we yada yada a lot of that. So yes. there's a lot more in here. I'm holding the book. Like, you can see it. There's that's a lot more in here. So good. All right, Aaron. How did you feel about your reread? This is the second time you've read the book, right? Yes, this is that was my first reread. This is good because I forgot a bunch of shit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, I really enjoyed it even more. I think the first time I read it, I was just like trying to see what happened and Mm -hmm. not catching everything. This time I was being more analytical, trying to like think about all the theories on the internet and everything. Mm -hmm. I did so. I was always like only on Darrow's side, I think, because mm-hmm. he's been with us as the only point of view the last three books. Right. This time, though, since I was ready for the other points of view, I saw more flaws in Darrow. Right. Like, since we know what happens, I was like, okay, there's like eight other paths you could have taken. Right. <laughs> and it's funny reading his thoughts because he's like, this is the only way. And you're like, I don't think that's true. Yeah. 
it especially is, that since we know more than he does. It is really interesting to see some different perspectives on on Daryl, like outside yeah. perspectives. So this was the first time I wasn't like hundred percent on Team Darrow, right? And I I liked Lyria and Lysander more this reread. I did too, for sure. I yeah. would totally agree with that. I think the first time I read it, I was kind of like rushing through them because I wanted to get back to Darrow, especially Lyria. I was like, yeah. I don't care. I just want to get back to Darrow. But this time, now that you see she's such an integral character, you like know how she's in the story more, it was easier to like care more about her. Right. Do you like that the book switched from just being told from Darrow's perspective to like a multi point of view? I do. Yeah. Because I mean, the world's getting too big and like there's too many different paths that are being taken. So like if we didn't have the other points of view, we'd miss a lot of the story. Yeah. Yeah. I love being able to see, you know, like the Raws and then also just stuff like even the beginning when you're at Lyria's like little base camp or whatever, once they get taken out of the mines, that's just kind of a cool perspective. Ephraim's like street level Luna perspective where he's in like the underground. Yeah. That's really interesting. There's just so much potential in this world. And like we had kind of talked about on previous pods, it's like anytime you look down a street corner or yeah, it's like right. there's a whole new story that out there. Like I would read an entire book about the Rem Lords or the Moon Lords, you know, and yeah. like all or they're, they're so Wayland. cool. <laughs> yeah, and like and like Romulus, like he's such a badass. It's just so cool to see all those different uh, perspectives. And I totally agree with you. I when I first read the book, I was just reading it straight plot. Like let's get to the end. I just want to know what happens. Right, right. And and I was like with a lot of those points of view. I don't think so much with Lysander, but definitely I agree with you. Like Lyria, I was like, let's, what are we doing here? Like, let's get, yeah. let's get moving like, forward. Like, I'm sorry your whole family died, yeah. but I don't care. Yeah. I don't know you. <laughs> this time I did go through that. And I was like, the first couple of chapters when I read her, I was like, oh man, she, she watched her entire family die, die. in front of her. Basically. And, and that turned, turned her into like a very angry person. Right. I can see why. You know, I had a lot more empathy for her this time around. Me too. And it helped me understand her character a lot better. I think also we're both sadistic because we both always liked Ephraim more than Lyria, but he's like he's definitely the bad guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he's definitely a villain and she's like just a victim of circumstance. Right. Lyria's so. still like. Sometimes you're like, come on, girl. Like you got to have a little more perspective than you do, but also you can't really blame her for the way she feels. So, or like she's only been in the mine and and then in the camp. She's not like worldwise, right? So, yeah, she's not peerless. I think <laughs> that this time around, like if I was to say, like my as of, of the three new points of view. Obviously, I love Darrow's story. Like that's always going to be my favorite part of any book mm-hmm. is reading Darrow. But of the three new points of view, Ephraim was my first, my favorite the first time around. I just liked him being, you know, like a sarcastic asshole. He's like microdosing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and By the way, Ben the other day said, like, I think I'm a lot like Ephraim. <laughs> I, I said I used to be a lot like Ephraim. I was like, you're like bitter and murdery. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was like, when I was younger, you know, and like didn't really. Hey, Ephraim's a great lesson and love yourself first. 
There you, know, you go. Uh, any, any of our Therapy younger, yes, any of our younger <laughs> listeners out there, you gotta love yourself first. You gotta be, treat yourself number one first, and then treat yourself, and then go go from there. And Ephraim does not love himself clearly. No, well, and he's trying to like wallow in yes the, the sadness of Trig for the rest of his life. Yeah, there was a time in my life where I was like that, and it turned me into like a bitter, sarcastic person. And so I saw a lot of that of myself in Ephraim. I'm not now. I'm like really great to hang out with, right? Right. Right? He's winking at me. (laughs) 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 Well, Ben, what how did you feel on your reread? Uh yeah, like I said, it was I was really impressed this time around. Like I like we had talked about, I kind of rushed through the book the first time and I just wanted to see what happened with the plot. And then I liked the new points of view, and like I said, the first time I read it, I was really into Ephraim. The second time, I'm much more into Lysander's chapters uh-huh. i really and i'm really starting to be like pushed back against any kind of lysander hate i know he's kind of like a spoiled dude but well, i think people don't like him because of his actions in the book right ben loves these chapters because cassius is in it well i love these chapters cassius involved i love him because romulus is involved and by the end it seems like lysander has learned something from romulus right and i didn't really catch that the first time i read it you know yeah he's looking at romulus sacrificing his life yeah to try to like teach the ram a lesson basically Mm -hmm. and and lysander's like i didn't realize there was something greater than love right like there's like honor beyond any i've ever seen this man has a code that no matter what he's going to keep in it it costs him his life He's yeah. still going to honor that code, which is just Romulus off fucking raw is such a badass. Like That's his new name. Yeah. I don't think you can say his name without saying Romulus off fucking raw. Like, that's, that's who he is. <laughs> he is so great. And he's like cold when he's like, oh, we're just sorry. Thanks for saving my daughter. We're going to kill you now. Right. And all he has to say at his trial is, no, I didn't know about it. And it's all good. He lives. Everything's fine. Yeah, but he doesn't. <laughs> it's just like he's so honorable. I, I was reading that. I was like, why didn't he just do that? Because now he's leaving crazy right. Dido in charge. I like how Lysander's like, what a gold. He's just like the yeah. pe- like the picture of a gold. And Lysander grew up with Octavia, who she would have done anything to save her life. Right. And so it's this crazy. Is the first sacrifice. He's like a true sacrifice. He's yeah. And it's crazy to think about that. It's like that's a it's a weird kind of very skewed kind of wrong viewpoint on the world like that gold honor and that type of thing but he's like so committed to it and it's it's he's a so, lot like Lorne. it's very admirable you're like yeah. impressed by it <laughs> even though it's terrible even and they're like literally a- holding people in slavery you're still like that's pretty cool <laughs> <laughs> Don't don't quote that. <laughs> yeah, don't quote me on that. <laughs> <laughs> so in this reread, were there things that you'd say you forgot or like you were reminded yes, of? Yes, I definitely forgot that Lyria is a gamma and how much that plays into kind of the way that she feels. Yeah, and we didn't realize there was, well, we, we remember this, but the genocide on red on red. Yes, yeah, it's the red hand killing the gammas because they think they're basically, you know, the gold's little playthings or like, pets or yeah, whatever. And that they the red hand feels justified. Yeah, it's just I, I forgot about that and like I think that really does inform her story a lot because she's she still grew up in freaking mines as a slave, but she's this group that everybody she's in a group that's been singled out, everybody hates, even though everyone's free now. 
they still see Gamma's like the bad guys, the bad guys, or like the spoiled right. ones. And they get attacked, and how much that just kind of informs her story and informs her bitterness towards the world is really interesting. I thought. And I forgot Harmony was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, She's that like was saying that the woman with the burned half of her face. Like I think I definitely when I know I when I was like, reading oh. it the first time, I definitely missed that. But I learned it later on, like just reading about the book. You know, I was reading it. And I was like, oh my god, that's Harmony. Mm-hmm. I was like, what the fuck is she doing? And Harmony's actually the one who kills Lyria's brother. Right. Like shoots him down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's Ooh. the leader there. Harmony's gone real dark. Right. Like extra dark. Yep. Also, here's something I forgot. Sophocles is 700 years old. Yeah, he's just like a clone fox. But he's been cloned so many times that he's like acting a fool. Right. He's like been cloned way too many times. Yeah, that he's like kind of weird, right? Yeah, he keeps like attacking birds. See, I was wondering about that. We'll probably get into that a little bit more in the Dark Age podcast. I don't really want to talk about Dark Age theories, but it seems like there's maybe like some spying or something going on with those little things those little bird things and that's why sophocles is oh, getting pissed like at them he knows like they're like robots or something like that they're Varys's little birds yeah exactly i think that do you think we're gonna cross over into game of thrones <laughs> well i just think that there's something up with that there's a reason yeah. that sophocles is like attacking those things i think it's because he has premonition or he knows that those are or maybe he's just been cloned because there's times clearly like crazy. a mole there's a mole within the citadel well, we don't want to get into all this we'll that that we'll save that for the dark age pod but uh, he's 700 yes with clone years okay so we t- kind of talked about this a little bit already but let's talk about how our feelings change um first time we read it to the the reread how have your feelings changed? Personally, I really just appreciated Pierce's writing this time around. I think Pierce has improved. He improved as a writer. Like, obviously, I think Pierce is the shit. Those first three books are amazing. But I think, like, he's getting better. And that that is so cool to see. And I think this book um, really shows that. Like, writing these different perspectives, these different point of views, that's tough. That's a really tough job uh, for a writer to do. And you know, creating these characters, tying them into the story, and just, I think, like, his writing is getting more beautiful, it's more elegant. Um, and the storyline is so complex now with yeah. the four viewpoints. Yeah, he's got way more balls to juggle rather than just, like, <laughs> that sounded bad. <laughs> that sounded really bad. <laughs> he's juggling way more, I don't know, like, flaming swords at this point. That's even worse. Sorry, my head's in the gutter. Yeah, chainsaws. He's got four chainsaws in the air, and he's juggling Juggling them. And it's just, let's appreciate how good this guy is at his job. Howler number one, you are the man. That's all I have to say. He is the man. Mm -hmm. He's given us all of this. Yes. My feelings changed, I think, in terms of um, Victra, because... This this last reread while we did the podcasts, like I've always liked Victra, but I was always like Mustang's number one because mm-hmm. of the horses. But this whole just because of horses, <laughs> and she's like super badass. But um, this whole reread, like through the first trilogy and now into Iron Gold, I've like liked Victra even more. Mm-hmm. And the, in Iron Gold, Victra's like so badass and also terrifying yeah like 
I'm like so scared of Victor right now. Yes, she is she's in a very like, scary place. Have you ever met like a woman who she's like not afraid to like not smile and tell you you're wrong? I, I'm like really scared of those women. <laughs> like one of my bosses is like that. Yeah. I'll be like, hey, good morning. And she's just like, no. Yeah. You're like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> so that's what Victor reminds me of. It's like. She's just so badass. She's wearing pregnancy pulse armor. <laughs> yes. So and she's like, sick. is she like eight months pregnant? But yeah, she's like seven, eight really months pregnant. pregnant. Yeah. And think of like, have you seen those women that are like so fit, like just jacked to, sh- mm-hmm. and to shit? And then they have this huge belly. Because <laughs> yeah. like when you're that fit, your belly has to go straight out because right. you have too many muscles. Yeah. So she's got to be popping. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> popping out. Anyways. <laughs> So even though Victor is like kind of being irrational. Kind of. With I the whole attacking definitely. everyone. Yeah. Especially when like Mustang <laughs> and Holiday are actually trying to find the kids. Victor's just going in guns blazing. Right. It's still like, wow, that she's a cool lady. Right. Good one. All right. We've got so a couple more questions here. All right. Who was your favorite new character? So they did not appear in the last books. Appeared here in Iron Gold. Mine is Tungless. Oh, nice. I like that one. Mostly because he, he and the dog are friends. Yeah. And like... And he's a great cook. He's he. There's so many things that we do know about him that are good. And he's like obviously a badass fighter. Um, and there's so many things yet to learn. I don't understand why any nobody's just like, Tungless, like, what's up, man? Like, Can what? you write it down? Yeah, like just write it down for us. What's your story? Yeah, you know? like, <laughs> hey, how about we give you like a day and you just write out your whole biography and then we'll we'll know who you I are. I don't uh, like that seems like a really bad, you know, like oversight. Yeah, like what There's are we like uh he's cool. Severo's like he's chill. Let's hang yeah, out. He cooks really great and then he can fight and he's been hanging out. He's been chill, so they're all just like well, like, Tungless is cool. Let's he's bring cool. him on. Bring him along. But also maybe somebody should be like, "Hey, Tungless, like What's up, man? Like, who what, are you? What happened? Where are you? Why were you in the? <laughs> yeah. Why were you in the cell? That, that's step one. Why were you in there? He was a guard, right? That's all. Like, that's and he all said they he know. He was stabbed in the back. Yeah. But like, that's all. Like, can we know more? Yeah, we're gonna need. To, I need, I'm gonna need a little bit more than that. But there's a lot of cool theories that he's related to Ragnar. Yeah. Or that he is somebody that Th- we already know, possibly yeah. who is carved. I don't think that's true, but that's a theory. He is like sophisticated, which I remember they t- they talked about. Like he's ele- like he doesn't move like a regular obsidian. And he's not as big as a regular obsidian. But he's also a shaman of the ice, which I noticed mm. remembered this time. So that maybe means maybe he's related to Ragnar in yeah. some way and knows Sefi. Yeah, they were saying that's badass. his position for mostly like women. Uh, oh, in the yeah. obsidian culture, but he's a man, so I'm not. I'm not sure. It's, it's he's that one's a real mystery. But really, the real reason I love him is the dog. The dog that he's friends with the dog. And you brought the dog. It's good reason as any to like a character. Yep, I actually do. You know what I think? What I think the dog was always his, and then the warden like took the dog when they locked him <laughs> up. Yeah. So then the dog was like, "Oh yay, we're friends again." Oh nice, yeah. Because the warden clearly was like kicking the dog and being a dick. 
Yeah, the warning. He sucked. deserved to get his eyes popped. Yeah, I was. If okay you kick with that. a dog, you get your eyes popped. If you're gonna kick a dog and get your eyes popped five minutes later. I'm gonna be like, I'm gonna look the other way. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and you're not gonna look the other way because you don't have eyes anymore. Don't spit your beer out. <laughs> Who is your new favorite character? This one's easy for me, Apollonius. I could listen to him talk like all day long. Like you love the silvery tongue. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. So anytime like he's like giving his speech, it was just like I could read these paragraphs for a full day. I had no problem just reading all the stupid all the words that he used and it was amazing. And I love when he makes his like big long statement about coming back and then Severo's like, Did you memorize that? <laughs> <laughs> Severus just like <laughs> hates this guy yeah. so much. Well, and he should. But yeah, Apollonius, I'm interested to see what happens with his character. I was reading, you know, the end of this book just so recently. And I'm just like, why didn't Daryl just blow his head off right there at the end? Like he tells him, like, I'm not going to give you the prisoners or whatever. He's like, I don't really care about this guy. So why don't you just be like, boom, on his data pad and just his head. And <laughs> <It's gross. laughs> I don't, and, but he just lets him live, and so now we're gonna have to deal with him as like the warlord of Venus. Yeah, I think he's going to. It seems like he's gonna take over Venus. Maybe he somehow, some way. Well, I think Daryl leaves him there, hoping that he does. Right. Daryl's kind of trying to cause chaos. He does want him, yeah, to cause civil war within Venus, but uh, that was part of the plan. It, but so. also, I feel like Apple's gonna be harder to deal with in the future than just the venus people well daryl betrays him there at the end and like and then the the ramp's closing and he says that apple's like really mad yeah and he's clearly super dangerous he had the ash lord poisoned i mean from and he prison lit him on fire and he yeah and he somehow broke the defenses on the ash lord's island i still uh, seems like yeah daryl's like, like how did you do that yeah it was and, like but four to one the reason daryl doesn't blow his head up is because darrow has a conscience and honor and he um apple saved daryl from like certain death daryl was legit about to get scalped and dead yeah that was crazy intense like daryl was dead he yeah. was lost and Everyone was fucked up. His howlers couldn't save him, and Apple was there. I guess so, he does. That's probably why. He so didn't he's pop not going to blow his head up. Right. Anyway, Apollonius is fantastic. I can't wait to get more Apollonius. I also speeches. love that he's just naked all the time. Yes, it's so great. I think that's why I like him. <laughs> you know how much I like The Rock. Yes. <laughs> so. <laughs> and Chris Hemsworth. And Chris Hemsworth. Well, I like like first and second Thor. Chris Hemsworth. Uh. I don't like hobo fat chris hemsworth yeah obviously <laughs> that was a spoiler but i won't say for what <laughs> um so ben what was your favorite like sequence or like scene scene movie epic scene whatever I what was your favorite one, i think sequence? everybody knows what i'm about to say and it is cassius in the bleeding place well that is epic i mean i can like it too incredible the uh, my favorite moment of the book, and just that first fight against Bellerophon. That guy's a dumbass. He, yeah, he looks like he's about to get uh, get beat. Comes back and beats him, and then the, the next people just start jumping in. And after each one, he's just like, "My name is Cassius Abalona, son of Tiberius and Julia, the Morning Knight, and my honor remains." <laughs> And I just want to like 
find ways to say my honor remains my honor in my life like what if i was finishing a huge plate of nachos i ate all of it and you flip the table i flipped the table over i said my name is ben reinert son of alan and barb (laughs) howler and my honor remains (laughs) you would get thrown out of the bar that's what would happen i need to find ways to say this in my everyday life how about we go play can jam <laughs> and you get a can jam and then you can kick the it over and say all of that. We should all find a way to to flex to flex on and say that we are who we are, who we are and that your honor remains in everyday life and not have to kill people to say it. You know, that's what I'm saying. I think you definitely need to like kick or flip something <laughs> yeah. or throw a bottle. I or agree. Something. Yeah. But please don't hurt anyone. My favorite is the lady showdown. Like Holiday versus uh, Victor. So what happens is when Holiday first has Lyria and they're like trying to get her to the sovereign um, so they can interview her. Mm -hmm. Victra is like coming in hot, guns blazing, (laughs) pregnant pulse armor. And her and Holiday are like on the comm screaming at each other. Mm -hmm. Holiday's like. Julia, you better back down. <laughs> yeah. And Victor's like, give me the girl. <laughs> and they're like, lady showdown. Yeah. And then let me read this. It says from Victra, you idiots lost my child. I will get her back with words or with iron. Your choice. Give me the red or I will come and cut her out of the belly of your ship. You have 10 seconds to comply. Victra out. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. And you know she means it, too. And you're like, ah. <laughs> And then it's amazing. All this shit's happening. And then finally, at the very end of that chapter, chapter 44, they get to the Augustus uh, vessels and they they land. And the Augustus ships uh, back Victors down without hurting anyone. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> dozens of men in armor come to greet them. And it's uh, at their head, a huge figure in pale blue fox armor. Niobe Atelamanis has come to war. So it's like Holiday and Victra just flexing. And then Niobe, who's like the biggest woman, (laughs) she's fucking, she's really flexing because of Kavak. So I love that whole scene. Lady power. Great scene. So those were our um, kind of recap questions and uh, our review of Iron Gold. Now we are going to go to everyone's favorite segment the prime five this time it's going to be 10 we each did a prime five of our own because it's a whole book because it's a whole book so this is five of our favorite insights and observations from this week's book Book. (laughs) (laughs) do you want to take the first one sure so uh, starting of the book i was like super oogly googly over the greetings that everyone had i like audibly guffawed like giggled <laughs> at this i was just like <laughs> <laughs> so good you guys can't see ben he also just shimmied his shoulders <laughs> while he did that that was fun to watch in the very beginning of the book we see daryl coming back and we've seen this where he's at his triumph again but this time it doesn't go as poorly mm-hmm. still pretty poorly at the end, but he shows up and he says to the sovereign sitting on high, he walks up the steps to all these cheering crowds 
and he bows and says, low wife. And mm. she says, low husband. Oh. And I was like, <laughs> so <laughs> cute. Squee. <laughs> for sure. And then also Victor's, or Victor's missing. She's like settling some dispute with her unions. And Severo's like, where's Victor? Where's Victor? And then he shows up to Darrow's house and he's like looking around for Victra and he's like, why wasn't she at the triumph? And they said where she was. And he goes, he was like, but I looked marvelous. <laughs> <laughs> like Severus saying like he looked amazing. Yeah. So he wanted Victor to see him. <laughs> That's and good. then um, Victor shows up. Severus like dashes away from the dinner table. And mm-hmm. he's like, kids, sit, stay. Yeah. <laughs> And then he comes back in with a bleeding nose yeah. and like ripped clothes and several uh, Victor's like eight months pregnant. <laughs> yeah. It's maybe. great. I love it. That's really great. What's one of yours? Okay. My first one here is just a little insight that I didn't even notice first time I wrote it. Uh, the Telemannus children are like half Pacific Islander. Like basically like they're Samoan. Because like Niob- Niobe is Samoan. She has Samoan like tattoos. Nice. And yeah, she like is. Like Moana? She's the rock. And she's Moana? She's like female rock. <laughs> make way. <Yeah>. Make way. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think I'm in love with Niobe now. I know. And Telemana's children. So they're like half the rock, half Kavox. How are they not as badass as they are? You are know? they going to have red beards? Uh, I don't know. Dox has got dark hair, right? I don't know. I think they all have dark hair because Dox of is an enigma. Right. That is a good insight. I, I, thought that, I just thought that was cool. I missed that again. I love Pierce's diversity throughout these books. Like there's so much diversity of characters and different races and just all over the place. It's really cool, especially in today's day and age where that type of representation really matters. Ne- my next Prime 5 is Lysander miraculously remembering the piano. Mm-hmm. and playing like a beautiful sonata or whatever he yep. plays. And then um, also he starts to remember his mother for the first time. And uh, I think it's good to remember that because there's this whole backstory that I think is going to come into play in the next two books mm-hmm. about Lysander's life and why he can't remember his mom. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. So what do you think? Do you think that he doesn't remember his mom because it's like the trauma of the ship crashing? Like he just like, you know, blocked all those memories out of his mind? Or do you think that Octavia like maybe screwed with his brain a little bit? The latter. I do too. And I think I think Pierce implies that because Lysander remembers everything. Yeah. Like yes, he does talk about how great of a memory he has. Yeah, he could win that competition where you have to memorize all those numbers in a row. Right. Have you seen that? No, I don't know what you're talking about. Cool. What is it? The people with like flawless memories. Oh, uh, like a photographic memory? Are they trying to remember memories. like pi or something like that? They just like have these competitions who can remember the most. Hmm. It's not pi because you can memorize pi. It's like you see the number and then you have to like... But it like it's Anyways, never ending, so it just goes forever. So he has a photographic memory and and he's like, I wouldn't have forgotten her. And he's like, I didn't forget my father. Right. So I think she might be... It like, seems like maybe there's something going on there with Octavia. I think maybe his mom was like a socialist or something in Octavia and she tried to like influence Lysander. Oh, that's and Octavia was like, 
no, this is a dictatorship. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting thought. I like that. You know, it, I mean, yeah, I was just trying to think about it both ways. I mean, people are known to like block out traumatic events. Like that's a thing that human beings do. So I could see that being part of it. He's but not human. He's a gold. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it does. But those kind of like what you're talking about, those little nuggets that Pierce drops. Uh-huh. And and the way he kind of talks about it maybe does seem like there was some tinkering there with his some tinkering. Uh, also, memory. back to the piano bit. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be nice to just <laughs> like put your hands on some keys and then be like, oh, I can play the I piano. <laughs> that would be cool. I forgot about that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> After like years of piano lessons, I still can't play the piano. So right. That would have been nice. Okay, my next one is remembering Ragnar. So right before the battle with the Ash, Ash Lord, there's just a great section where... Oh, all the howlers. They're doing like Chuck Norris jokes, basically, yeah. about Ragnar. And they're really great. Um, I kind of want to get one of those tattooed on my face. Yeah, it's like Ragnar can drink an ocean without pissing a drop, you know, or something like that. And like, what's the fastest way to a gold's heart? Ragnar's fist, <laughs> uh, stuff like that. And I just love that they're remembering him. And then also like the moment of kind of questioning of Darrow in that moment where he's like, would Ragnar be on board with this? And what am I doing? And it's just, it's yeah. a lot of insight into the d- dynamics of the Howlers and just why we get that kind of fracture there at the end with Severo, Pebble and Clown leaving. And then the kind of the younger group of howlers that are more dedicated to well not more dedicated but it's hard to say they're more dedicated to darrow than severo pebble and clown yeah they just follow darrow yeah some of them are more dedicated to severo than darrow because like pebble and clown were there when darrow was gone the whole time and severo built up yeah they've sacrificed the most out of anyone it's just like it's hard for them to, they've gotten to this point where they've just seen so many people die, and it's just like, yeah. And Clown's also like super injured, so yeah, they're not not gonna go. But anyway, that was great. Always her Ragnar forever. Also, Ragnar. <laughs> <laughs> um, they say that Wolfgar, not Wolfgar, um, Tungless does the Obsidian War Chant. And I'm like. Yeah. You can do that without a tongue. That's what I thought too. I think it's very throaty though, because I remember that from yeah. I remember it being like a very throaty thing from the way Pierce described it. I still feel like you need a tongue. I think you would probably would need a tongue, but we'll just let it go. It's still pretty cool. He's just making noises. (laughs) They're like, we get what you mean, buddy. (laughs) We got it. (laughs) He's just like, uh. (laughs) All right. My next next? one is when Trig and Ephraim first meet, we kind of get some backstory on their relationship. We find out that Trig was drinking milk in a bar. And <laughs> Ephraim, it, that's why he notices him. He's like, are you drinking milk? Well, yeah, he spills it on him. And Ephraim's like about to punch him. And then he's like. And he starts laughing. And then he looks at this guy. He's like, you're a cutie. <laughs> he's like, you're drinking milk. <laughs> you're so cute. It's so great. my question to all of you is, would any of you drink milk in a bar? I think it was. I, I think it was spiked milk. Aaron's saying it's not. But I think it did have alcohol in it. It doesn't matter. It's still milk. It's disgusting. I hate milk. Milk is for babies. I would drink a white Russian in a bar. Sure. But that's the only thing that I would drink. That's half and half. So. That's not even just milk. Right. Milk. (laughs) (laughs) Don't say that. (laughs) (laughs) 
That was one of mine. How about you? But their meat, their meat cute is great. Meat cute is cute, yeah. and then just their whole relationship and. I do love how like Ephraim's so dedicated to Trig and like how yeah. how they use that to spur Ephraim to help them at the end. You know, like Trig would want want more from you. Exactly, guilt him. Mm-hmm. All right, my next one is. I love when Mustang comes back into this story. Like, because we, this book is pretty light on Mustang, honestly, like where we really get her as an involved character. But after the children get kidnapped, you know, that's like three quarters of the way through the book or so. Mm-hmm. Mustang comes back in and we also get that pers- outside perspective looking at Mustang that's not Darrow. Right. Which we, is really cool. And from someone who like hates her. Yes. But she's so like powerful and so you know put together and just like such a, like a good person. And then she like bows to Lyria. Yeah, and she's and always asks forgiveness. I just love her. She's so badass, and the way that she is able to kind of like figure out what's going on and who has the children. I love the scene with Holiday, Lyria, and Mustang sitting at the table. They're asking Lyria questions mm-hmm. and they're like figuring out together. And you can just see like Mustang's mind working, how sharp she is and just like how uh, great of a leader she is. And I just wanted to say she's freaking badass. And I'm so psyched to, to see her point of view in yeah. Dark Age. Like that's the most that's probably the most excited part of Dark Age that I'm I'm looking forward to. Yeah, when Pierce released that, I was like, fucking finally! Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be really cool. I'm excited. And I think that we'll also, being able to see her inside of her head a little bit will help some of those people that are like... Because I know, I know there's I know there's people out there like Mustang's too perfect, and I kind of get that argument. Uh, but I think like actually getting inside her head, we'll be able to see it's not like that. It's, you know, I'm sure it's an right. ocean that's... Uh, waving just like a everything beautiful else. ocean with horse-shaped waves right that's what her brain looks like it's a storm at times too and so i mean it's just gonna be interesting it's gonna be so cool to see her perspective but i just love when whenever she's a part of the story i just feel like it's better she's one of my favorite characters she's no she's no you have cassius i get messed i said one of you get cassius she's moved ahead of darrow for me personally I'm mad at Darrow right now. Yeah. He's fucking shit up. Which I get why he like kind of has to to have the conflict. But also you're just like, aren't you like tired? Like, can you just stop? Anyways, I know why he did all that. Because obviously Atlantia, who we thought was acting as Ash Lord, obviously it's a trap. Mm -hmm. But anyways, my next Prime 5 is... Um, Ephraim and Electra's interactions are fucking gold. They're hilarious. They're hilarious. Yeah. I was like laughing out loud listening to this. So this is when Ephraim and Pax and Electra are escaping the Duke of Hands and or his fortress or whatever. It says she looks like a hatchet face <laughs> or has a hatchet face, which I like. I know what they mean, but that's got to be like the meanest thing. <laughs> she just got too much of Severo's look, it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it didn't blend enough Julia in there yeah. and with the Barca. <laughs> Ephraim's like, hey, watch uh, the Duke. And if he moves, like cut him or something. And she says, 
immobilizing strike or just a flesh wound? <laughs> and he's like, gory hell, just watch him, little psycho. <laughs> I love that. Little psycho. <laughs> it reminds me kind of how Severo talks to people. Yeah. Ephraim, besides calling uh, her hatchet face, he also calls Pax half-breed. Like, mm-hmm. that's how he refers to both of them. Yeah. Which are really great <laughs> insults. <laughs> yeah. And then um, uh, Electra says, was this your plan? Yap, yap, yap. And Ephraim goes, you're the one who got kidnapped, dumbass. <laughs> so just a little, some tidbits. They do have there. like multiple great back and forth. Yeah, I love it. Okay. Next uh, on yours. My next one is, we kind of talked about Darrow's psychology a little bit. I just wanted to talk a little bit like, how reserved he is to his duty. And it seems like he's not really making choices. It's just like he just has this duty and you can see it so plainly in the first couple chapters, like right when he shows up to the triumph, like how much weight is on his shoulders, like as he's walking up the stairs, yeah, it's like like clunk. And then, you know, all All the the weight. And then he's like, yeah, exactly. All these deaths. And he just feels like he has this duty to end the war. But it's almost like it's clouded his vision at this point. Like he admits by the end of the book, he never should have dropped the iron rain on Mercury. And that was originally like we talk about Daryl's bad decisions in this book. That was the original sin of this book. Which happened off camera. Which happened off camera. Exactly. But so we weren't there to tell him. No. So, yeah, and and Darrow, yeah, like, I think he does continuously fuck up, like, in this situation. I'm not sure exactly what he sh- could have or should have done differently, but he for sure never should have dropped the Iron Rain on, on Mercury. It ended up, like, turning Cephi and, and the Obsidians against him. He, lear- he leaned way too much on their strength and cost them, you know, too many lives. And yeah. at, And his obsession with ending the war and what he feels like is his duty has now basically like ruined him as a father. He's basically by the end of the book, he basically says, I'm giving up on being a father. He talks about how he's basically the Ash Lord now. And he, even if they win this war, like the last, the bill comes last for, for him. And and it's just, he's trapped and it's just this interesting psychology. I'm wondering how he's going to break out of this now that he's got some self-realization and can see himself a little bit better. And he saw himself in the Ash Lord that should really scare the shit out of him. First of all, yeah. and hopefully get yeah, him to Ash change Lord. the Ash Lord, uh, Ash, Ash Lord, Ash Lord. Um, and hopefully at this point we can maybe, I don't know, find something, a new like change the paradigm. <gasps> we didn't hear that in this book. No, and that's why Daryl's fucking up. I missed. I missed that line. He, now we have to change the paradigm for Dark Age and see if Daryl can get back on track to you know the man that he wants to be. It's just so so sad that he doesn't get a chance to be a father, and that this war that he's become so obsessed with winning, and his duty to win that war has led him or what he feels like is his duty responsibility to win that war has led him to this place where he's just like almost an ultimate despair. And all he wanted to be was a dad. Like he talks about that so much in the first trilogy and then he gets his chance and then he's not there for his son because he just 
and that yeah, is overwhelmed by is hard yeah, to watch. Yeah. Crumble. He's like overwhelmed by his duty to end the war and his obsession with killing or beating the Ash Lord. It's just sad. I'm hoping that. I know he said I'm just leaning into the Reaper now. I'm hoping the that rage maybe, is rising. Right, and he. I, I, I'm just hoping that that isn't his end. You know, like that doesn't end up being his downfall. He's got to rise up. It's also interesting seeing Daryl from other people's perspectives. We've always been inside Daryl's head, so we know his intentions and like what he's thinking about. Right. But seeing him from other people's uh, perspectives, like especially like Lysander's perspective and stuff like that, it is really interesting um, how much of a warmonger Daryl comes off as and yeah. just like how much scary. of a kind of like really bad dude he is. And I, and I mean, especially with the docks of Ganymede and all that, like, mm-hmm. and with Lysander with his whole life. Right. <laughs> it's just, uh, it's, uh, interesting. So that was, it was, it kind of changes Darrow and our, our viewpoint of Darrow from those first three books, but it's an interesting change in perspective and it makes for, uh, some good reading. I feel like I'd still, if I was going to be a character, I'd still be Darrow. Yeah. Or Mustang. Yeah, I, w- I would be I'd Mustang. probably rather be Darrow than Mustang. I don't want to be a politician. She's Anyways. A, she was a fighter before that. I know, but now she's like stuck in meetings. That's how it's boring. Yeah. My next Prime 5, my last of the Prime 5, Wow. are uh, very own Romulus uh, Raw. Oh, fucking Raw. I think Sorry, excuse me. Romulus are fucking raw. <laughs> the the greatest moon lord Ben has ever known. Man, this guy <laughs> is impressive. So the last walk where it's his execution, the whole scene is like just made to be in a movie. Yeah. The love that he shows Dido, even though she's really the one who stuck the knife in his back. And... Um, it's it's very sad. It's gutting. Also like, amazing. But and yeah, you're just in awe of Romulus, just like. Yeah, and he he's like walking further than most because he's like freezing to he's, death while he's, he's walking. He's fucking iron gold, man. And the quote I'm gonna say is: 10 steps from the honored golds who reached the monument lies the greatest man of a people." <laughs> Romulus ah fucking raw. That's also what it says. <laughs> she says pulvis et umbra sumus, which means Romulus ah fucking raw. <laughs> I think it means like to dust you shall return or something like that. It's cool. Yeah. The moon howls. That's the next. Um, so he was amazing and we're sad to lose it. Yeah. If you're just going to listen to the pod as a refresh, I would definitely at least just go back and read like the last three chapters of the book just because yeah. they're so good. Yeah. Like the last couple chapters are really great, even though it ends on a cliffhanger and that's just kind of tough because we're all reading it and we have this weight. You got to think about it with like a larger, you know, 30,000 foot perspective. Once there's a whole trilogy, that's going to be so badass to just go from that to the next book immediately, immediately. The Gorgons, whoever they are. And I don't know. I just feel like the end of that book is actually, it's really good. At the time I was like, man, this sucks. This is a, a a real cliffhanger. I want to know what happens. All four of them are cliffhangers. All four perspectives are. But once you do a reread, it just is really great. What's your last Prime 5? Okay, the last one on our Prime 5, Prime 10 is there's a couple, there's a really great quote and 
from Kavox, and it's about pain being a memory. And what I noticed this time is there's actually two characters that say this, and it plays differently in both chapters, and it's actually in back-to-back chapters. So in Lyria's chapter, her family's just died. She's talking to Kavox, and he talk- tells her about pain being a memory. Chapter right before that is a uh-huh. Lysander Cassius chapter, and it's the one where they're about to get captured by the the Raws, basically, or the the Moon Lords, and Cassius has to put on the mask yes. and change his face, and so they're like, you don't have any stem shots, and it's gonna hurt really fucking bad, and then Lysander's like, Cassius is gonna fucking hurt, man, like you're gonna be fucked up. And Cassius just goes, pain is just a memory. And so within the perspective of Cassius, it's just interesting comparing it to Kavox's perspective where he says, he's talking to Lyria after her family has died. He says, I know it may be impossible to believe now when everything is dark and broken, but you will survive this pain, little one. Pain is a memory. You will live and you will struggle and you will find joy and you will remember your family from this breath to your dying days because love does not fade. Love is the stars and its light carries on long after death. First of all, wow. Just incredible writing. Amazing. Second of all, not surprising. Just thinking about that and those two different perspectives, Cassius is saying pain is a memory from just this bitter, like very kind of troubled place. Like his whole life has been pain that he didn't ask for, didn't want to be involved in. And He's saying it from this like very bitter place, but then Kavox is using the exact same phrase, and he's saying it from a very hopeful perspective. Like you can turn that pain in uh, pain as a memory, and then you'll always have love, and love is really uh, what matters. It's never going to fade. I just thought that was an interesting juxtaposition between the two quotes, basically saying the same words but having completely different perspectives behind them. And, yes. and it's an amazing quote from Kavox, probably the best quote in the book, in my opinion, other than Cassius and my honor remains. My <laughs> honor remains. <laughs> Why are you whispering? He was like screaming. <laughs> it's good. I like the drama. Yeah. I'm into it. That was our prime 10. Yeah. All right. You know what it's time for? What are we into this week? Ben, what are you into this week? It's not really a week. It's like however long it's been. I am going to recommend a podcast. Okay, so there's this great AM radio program called Coast to Coast. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's on like usually after midnight on AM radio. And I used to listen to it when I was younger a lot. Like I said, it's called Coast to Coast. And it's all about like people talking about supernatural stuff very seriously. So they'll talk about like alien abductions uh, they'll talk about the end of the world, shapeshifters, uh, and it's just Bigfoot. They'll do a whole, you know, they'll bring in like Bigfoot hunters and talk to them seriously on the radio. And it is hilarious. And I just found out that there's a podcast called The Best of Coast to Coast. And I've been listening to it. The episodes are like 15, 20 minutes. They're great. They're little snippets. They're hilarious. If you like that kind of thing to have like people come in and talk about, I don't know, alien abductions. I was just listening to one 
about shapeshifters the other day, and they had a, a professional in there, a professional guy about shapeshifters, Quote, scholar, and he was like, you know, most people think about shapeshifters as talking about Dracula turning into a bat. He's like, that's bullshit. <laughs> He's like, real shapeshifters. And then he like switches into what real shapeshifters are. So it's just, it's it's that kind of stuff. It's really fun to laugh at, and it's just ridiculous. Are they serious though? They're very serious. Yeah. Do they realize it's funny? Um, it's just really entertaining. I'm not sure if they know it's funny or not. I'm sure they think that they know that people out there think it's funny. But there's another one talking about how it's the end of the world, and they were talking about how it's the end times right now, and just like. You know, it's it's t- stuff like that. It's just really ridiculous stuff. It, it's funny. And they talk about it from, like, a scholarly perspective. And they're not uh, being, they're not doing parody. It is, like, they're serious. I love it. Yeah. That's called Coast to Coast AM podcast. I think it's called the best of Coast to Coast. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Aaron, what are you into this week? I'm into a singer. Mm. She's... Her name, I can't say it, but it's like Sinead Harnett. Sinead. She's English. Sinead. Um, it's S-I-N-E-A-D. That's Sinead. Harnett. Yeah. Um, she's an English singer-songwriter. She's from Finchley, London. Mm-hmm. Fun fact. And she also looks like white Rihanna. Oh, wow. So she's super hot. Um, but she has a gorgeous voice. Big fan of Rihanna. Yeah, you'd also be a fan of this person (laughs) whose name I think I'm butchering. Um, But she has an amazing voice. And yeah, check her out on your listening platform. Nice. It's a Sinead. That's how you say that. But in British? Yes. In British? (laughs) It's it's actually an Irish name. Because there used to be a singer named Sinead O'Connor. That's how she spelled her name. Nice. I'm glad one of us is smart. Yeah. It helps. All right, check her out and Coast to Coast AM podcast. Okay, let's talk about next episode on Howler Pod. We will be coming at you with a gory damn Dark Age preview. We're going to talk theories. We're going to talk expectations. (laughs) We're going to talk release dates. We're going to talk about how I can get Pulse Armor. Yes. I don't know. We're going to talk about Dark Age exclusively and what we want to see from it and what we think is going to happen. The theories that are out there, we're going to talk about it all. If you've got a good Dark Age theory that you want us to talk about, hit us up. DMs. We'll we'll say your name. Halopod at gmail.com. And then after that, we'll have another episode, our final episode before Dark Age comes out. Before we all have a dark age and stop posting (laughs) on the internet. Uh, We are going to do a full episode of Howler Q&A. You guys' questions to us. We're answering them. Whatever you want to ask. Red Rising related. What are you into this week related? You can even ask about me and Aaron. I don't really care. Uh, Whatever you want to talk about. You guys are in control. Send us a question. We'll answer it or talk about what you have to say. And that will be a full episode. And then we're all going to read Dark Age. We're all going to die. We're going to come back to life and talk about Dark Age after it comes out. Where can people find us on social media? Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Etsy, 
Email howlerpod at gmail.com. That's H-O-W-L-A-R-P-O-D. Also, if you guys could do us a solid and rate and review the podcast, we would be so thankful, and we definitely wouldn't throw a lazy punch at your head and completely lop it off so that your spine is sticking out. I was going to say... I'm going to get eight months pregnant and attack you in pregnancy pulse armor <laughs> if you don't give us five stars. <laughs> yes. So that would be really cool. Rate, review the podcast, share it with a friend, get share some more the books. I love seeing you guys' posts about I've got recruiting new howlers. I'm doing it all the time too. I've got like three people through the first trilogy. I'm now like pushing them to move on to Iron Gold been really awesome uh you guys keep up your great work doing that too share the pod share the books i think that's it right thanks howlers omnis verlupus oh. Oh.